Good to see you this morning. Time to worship together. Uh, we are, as Chris already shared with you, starting a series called uh, Destinations. You know, all of us are on a journey in life. And as we're on this journey in life, so often what happens is, as we go along and we have all kinds of things that weigh us down, uh, things that uh, cause us to not really live the life that we want to live. Well, let me explain that to you this morning by uh, doing something that's, uh, well, just a visual thing that'll help you a little bit. All of us have some baggage that we, uh, I'm not leaving by the way, uh, all of us have some baggage that we, we take with us so often in life. Uh, some of the baggage can be things, uh, you know, like, oh, well, here this one says uh, pain. You ever have any pain in life, anything from the past that causes you to, weighs you down right now? Maybe, uh, maybe it's uh, discouraged, uh, you're discouraged in some way. Uh, somewhere along the way that uh, things have become overwhelming and you get discouraged in life. Maybe that in your journey has caused you to have some problems. Uh, some other things that are possible as well is, uh, I've got plenty of luggage back here, by the way, um, is, is things called like fear. You ever had any fear in your life? No, nah, yeah, we're all fearless. Yeah, that's the way it is. Uh, or how about, uh, oh, let's see what this one is. This one is uh, fatigue. Hey, any of you tired? I want to tell you, you can, you can have a, a really good life and have a lot of things going on, but if you, if you try to do too many things, fatigue will eventually get the best of you uh, in, in your life as well. Let me get one more bag out back here. And, uh, well, actually, I'm going to get two. This one is kind of interesting. Ever feel defeated in life? You go through life and uh, things get you down. You're going like, man, um, life is just terrible. And I feel defeated. Well, today we're going on a journey for the next six weeks. Uh, and as we look at the book of Romans, chapter 8, today we're, talking, we're starting off in a place called, we're calling it departure. Because it's the beginning of the place. You know, today, this morning, as you walked in, you saw this, this kind of highway, this kind of road running right down the middle of our, uh, of, of our, of our worship center here. And it led to the cross. And, and, and literally, as we think about the journey that Jesus was on, as he began this, this journey on his, on his life, uh, it eventually led to the cross. It was, that was his destination. That was his destiny. That was what he was there for. Most of us don't have quite that clear of a place to go, do we? We, we kind of go from here to there to everywhere. And so we're going to talk about this whole thing of how we get to where we need to be and where God wants us to be and how we deal with some of these, some of this baggage that we have in our life as well today. You know, one of the things that so often we do in our lives to, to help us deal with the baggage of life is many of us turn to different things. Some of us turn to hobbies. Some of us turn to other things. Some of us turn to religion. Uh, religious systems uh, so are one way that people turn to try to find answers to some of the questions about how do I deal with all the stuff in my past or even the baggage in my current life uh, that I deal with every day. Um, one of the things that so often, too, that if you're in a religious system, if you're a Christian or if you come from some other religious system, uh, we, we feel like that we have the, the way, right, that there's, everybody else is totally different than we are, that we, we are just unique in every way. Well, the thing is, C.S. Lewis, if you know who C.S. Lewis is, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, some of those things, uh, wrote uh, Mere Christianity, one of the most famous books there is and that he wrote. He wrote a little book that probably nobody reads, but it's called The Abolition of Man. And in that book, he talked about, as he had become a Christian in life as an adult, he talked about uh, how he began to look at all the different world religions and ask the question, what are the differences and what are the commonalities? 
And one of the things he found true in almost all world religions is that there were certain things that were common. They found certain teachings, certain commandments, you might call them, that were common in, in almost all world religions. And I want to look at those just real briefly this morning to talk about them because so often we think, all oh, ours is unique. Well, there's a lot of commonality in certain things, but I want to talk about the uniqueness of Christianity this morning and why we're celebrating Easter. But in the commandments that he saw or the principles he saw that was true in all of uh, these religious groups, uh, he saw these pretty much these eight things that were common. He said, for instance, one of the commandments was don't harm others with word or deed. Another one was honor your parents. Another one was be kind to siblings and the elderly. Another one was be honest in your dealings with others. Another one was don't lie. Another one was don't have sex with another person's spouse. Another one was care for those who are weaker. And the last one was put others first. These eight things tended to be common in almost all religious systems, at least as as C.S. Lewis looked at these uh, and studied these as he became a believer. He was looking at all systems to try to understand some things. Now, he understood also something else about this in religious systems, that all these religious systems had these things in common, but also they had something else in common. Almost every, well, not almost, every religious group that had these same things in common, their followers failed to carry these out very well. Didn't do a very good job of carrying out these rules. All religious systems have these, these do's and these don'ts. And no matter where you go in any culture, we generally agree it seems to be that there are certain things we ought to do and certain things we ought not to do, but we do it anyway. And so the problem is, is you don't even have to be religious to understand this concept because all of us have fallen short of our own standards. How many times have you disappointed yourself? Have you're going like, man, I wish I could do that or said, "I, I, I wish I hadn't have done that. We all, you don't even have to be religious to understand that concept. All of us, you know, understand that there are certain things we're supposed to do, that we understand that when we stand at an altar with someone else and we say, I do, that it means we're supposed to keep certain promises to that person. We understand that when we sign a contract, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to fulfill the terms of that contract. We understand those standards of behavior, those pledges, those promises that we keep, these oughts and these ought nots, But we so often fall short even of our own standards that we understand. And because of that, because of all the baggage that we have uh, of trying to follow rules and regulations and not following through as well as we'd like in regard to those, because of this, guilt is real. And our conscience is real. And I want to tell you this morning, for many of you who are here, some of you have been carrying guilt for a long time. And you may have tried a couple of religious systems. I've had conversations with people that have come to Great Oaks over the year. They've tried all kinds of stuff. And you may have tried to find some religious system to try to deal with your guilt. And maybe you're not a religious person at all. And somebody invited you to Great Oaks this morning and said, oh, sure, I'll come. And we're glad you're here. We are, we are glad you're here. And some of your guilt is, you, you, you think your guilt is, is real because you've done something in your life that you feel is so big and bad that nobody could ever forgive you because you can't forgive yourself. And you tried to talk yourself into believing sometimes it wasn't so bad uh, because, uh, no, you know, nobody's perfect, by the way. You know, we write that one down on the wall and put it on the refrigerator like nobody knows that one. But the thing is, if you're trying those ways to try to deal with the guilt and the, and the, and the baggage you have in your life, welcome to the world of the religious. 
Because literally, that is the message of religion. How do we deal with the stuff in our past, the oughts and the ought-nots, the stuff that we know we're supposed to do or not supposed to do, and we're not very good at it, and because of that, we're at odds with other people, we're at odds with God, and we don't even like ourselves too much. Because we can't go back and and fix the things that's in our past. Things like, well, you can't go back and be a parent again to a 14-year-old girl or boy because now they're 25. So how do you deal with that? Or you can't go back and, and be faithful to your first husband or your first wife. And regardless of how much guilt and regardless of how much pain you have, you can't go back and deal with it. So what do you do with it? That's the, that's the common dilemma that all of us go through. That's the big question that really all religious systems are trying to deal with. What do I do with my past? What do I do with my failure? What do I do with the fact that I didn't even live up to my own standards? I let myself down, and because of that, I've let others down as well. Now, I say all of that to say this. I'm glad you're here today because that's the message of Easter. The message of Easter is this, is that Jesus Christ, God did for us something to deal with this dilemma that we all have, this dilemma that that we have issues in our life that we need to deal with, that we don't know how to deal with, and we try and we try and we try to deal with the stuff, but the problem is, is that we can't deal with it on our own. We just can't do it. Now, I, to prove that to you, let me, let me do a little survey this morning, okay? And like I said, w- one of the things that was true of every religious group is, uh, is in every religious group, the followers fail to carry out these, these, these laws that are up here. Let me, let, let's do a little survey. At Great Oaks, sometimes you can talk back on Sunday mornings a little bit, okay? Okay, a little bit, okay? Well, you know, however much is appropriate, whatever that means. Um, so I'm going to ask a survey. When I ask a question, you can raise your hand, okay? Let me ask you this. I just want to kind of do a survey to prove to you a point that, you know, every religious group, while we have laws, we don't carry them out very well. How many of you have ever harmed someone else with your words or with a deed? Thank you. How many of you have ever dishonored your parents in any way? Okay, thank you. How many of you have ever not been kind to a sibling this morning? No, no. (laughs) Okay, yeah, okay. How many of you uh, in any way, remember this is tax season, how many of you have been honest, are are honest in your dealings with others, or or have not been honest in your dealing with, with others in any way, that you're honest, you're honest enough to say that you've not been honest, okay? How many of you are tempted to lie about this next one, that you've never lied? That you never lie. You never tell even a, a white lie. You know what a white lie is? A little lie that you're kind of like, oh, it sounds good. You know, no, okay. <laughs> How many of you know someone or have seen some, a TV show where a person has been unfaithful to their spouse? Got around that one. Y'all were all sweating that one, weren't you? You're going like, oh, look at the list. Oh, no. See, the reality is this, is that, you know, I just took a survey of a bunch of people in church on Easter Sunday morning, and and a bunch of you said, almost everybody here that was truthful, it's broken at least one of the laws. That, that, That all the religious groups generally say are true things that we should do or should not do. 
We can't do it. I mean, we cannot in and of our own selves perfectly fulfill the laws that we, that we have before us, the things that we know that we should do or shouldn't do. And that's why Easter is such a big deal. That's why Friday was called Good Friday. You know, I had a little discussion with my wife in the car. That was interesting, Vicki. I, I thought about this going down the road. And uh, we were having this discussion. She's going, why was it called Good Friday? I, she knew the answer to that, by the way. She's been in church a long time. And um, I think she was born at church. Her dad was a pastor, too. And, um, and the thing was is that we're going down the road. And, I, and, and, and you know, you ever had one of those things where you think of the answer three hours after somebody asks you the question? And I'm thinking, I should know this answer pretty easily. You know, why's it called Good Friday? You know, why's it called, not called Good Sunday instead of, you know, because he was resurrected on Easter Sunday. Friday should be Black Friday, really, because that's, that's right after Thanksgiving, isn't it? Um, but, you know, Good Friday, it's, it's not good for Jesus, but it was good for us. Because today, the reason that we're here to celebrate, the reason that we can come and we can, and we can worship God today is because this problem, this dilemma that you and I have where we know that there's oughts and ought nots in our life but we can't fulfill them perfectly and because of that, we have this guilt and all these problems and all this baggage in our life. Because of that, what happens is, is that we, we, we can't deal with it alone. We need somebody to deal with it for us. And the Easter is the story of how God deals with that. How he gives us the universal solution to the universal problem of I know what I ought to do, I know what I ought to be, but how do I do it? Now what? That's the question for all of us. Now, I had no problem finding scripture to support that. The whole Bible supports this whole thing. But we began to look a few weeks ago, or actually a few months ago, about specifically about this series that we're going to start on Easter Sunday. And, and, uh, and, and as I thought about it, man, just Romans 8 jumped. I've never preached on Romans 8 on Easter Sunday before. But the issue is that Romans 8, it starts off, and I'm thinking about, man, what a perfect description. And then to follow up from that for the next five weeks, a perfect description of what God has done for us and why Easter is such a big deal. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul writes to us, he begins to write to us about this, this, this thing that's, that's so important, this problem that we all have, and he describes it in the first four verses. So this morning, if you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Romans chapter 8. If you don't, we're going to have it up on the screen. Also, we have it in your bulletin outline as well. And you can follow along there if you'd like to take notes or whatever this morning and, and as we think about this. Romans chapter 8. Paul starts in verse 1 by saying this. Therefore, talking about what he's already talked about, he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The word condemnation there means exactly what it says. Greek and English are no different. Condemnation, I have been tried and I have been found guilty. I am condemned. I mean, all of us know that we can't in and of ourselves. We raised our hands and we said, I, I know the rules, but I can't follow them perfectly. Sometimes we use the word, oh, I slip up. The Bible uses the word sin. And the issue is, is that because of that, we have this, this incredible guilt in our life. But it says here in the very first verse of Romans 8, therefore, because of what Christ has done on the cross, there is now no condemnation, no, you've not been found guilty for those who are in Christ Jesus. Meaning that when you accept Jesus Christ, the story of the Bible is this, because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, and we're going to talk about that more this morning, we're no longer condemned. You may feel condemned. You may feel like you're still guilty. But the issue is, is you're not. And how, the question is, how does that work? I mean, if we are guilty, then how does that work? How can God just say, oh, you're no longer condemned? 
Well, let's, let's look a little further. Because in verse 2, it begins to talk about it a little bit further. It says this. This is how it works. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. It compares and contrasts two laws. The law of the Spirit who gives us life. We're going to talk about that in, in a moment. But, it, but it, then it talks about this law of the sin and death. Now, whether you've heard of this law before, you all know about, know about the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is part of nature, of human nature. It's, it's this. When you sin, something dies. When you sin, something dies. When you sin, when you, when you do something, when, when you harm someone with word or deed, the relationship is wounded and may die. You can kill a relationship by sin, by the way you respond, by the way you act. Some of you may have killed a relationship with your parents as you grew up as a teenager and you were rebellious and you were so rebellious that you pushed them away. And now because of that, of that thing you did in your life growing up, then now you, you may not even have a relationship. You barely speak to them. That is not the way it's supposed to be. But the law of sin and death is when I sin, something dies. Some of you may have uh, killed your marriages by unfaithfulness. You, when you sin, something dies. You don't have to be a Christian to understand this principle because it is a principle of human nature. When you sin, something, uh, when you sin, something dies. And Paul says that this law of sin and death has controlled our relationship with God. But then he says something interesting. He compares it with this other law, he says. But this other law, he says, has overcome this first principle. It's kind of like this, the illustration. And I'm not going as much detail as I did the last service because when I described this, I asked a question and, and, and some people came to me afterwards and gave me all the illustration that I, more than I wanted. I'll, you'll understand in a minute. Um, sometimes you don't ask questions. Um, there's this thing. Any of you ever flown before? Okay, yeah, most of you probably flown. Okay, when you, the airplane takes off the ground, what happens to the law of gravity? That was the question I asked. I got all kind of answers later. Uh, <laughs> mostly physics professors and stuff like that, you know. Um, what happens to the law of gravity? Is it no longer there? No, this is not a hard question. I don't know this well enough to ask hard questions, okay? Is the law of gravity still there when you take off, off the ground? Yes, it's still there. Okay, it's still there. So what happens? Well, this other law, which I found out later, and I, don't even, I can't even tell you what it is, uh, this other law takes effect, which overwhelms the law of gravity for a period of time. It overcomes the law of gravity for a period of time. It's some law named after some guy that I never heard of before. He's probably dead anyway. But, uh, <laughs> but the issue is this. You know, the law of gravity is still in effect. I mean, if you if you, you know, fall down, the law of gravity is still there. But the reason for that brief moment or that brief, or hopefully the whole flight, you know, what's going to happen is, is the law of gravity is going to be overwhelmed by this other law. It's still there. The law of gravity is still in effect, but it's overwhelmed by this other law. Paul says that the law of sin and death will always be in place in our lives. And as long as we live in this world, it'll be in place. But through Christ, a new a law, a new principle has been introduced by God that every one of us can take advantage of. He calls it the law of the Spirit who gives life. He talks about this throughout his writings, and he says to us certain things. He says, you know, matter of fact, you may have experienced this in small ways in your own life, in your own dealings with persons. 
Some of you, maybe over the years, have killed a relationship through your own sin. You've tried to make amends. You've tried to, to make it right again. But you come to the point of realizing in your frustration that you cannot do enough to make the relationship right. Some of you don't know exactly what I'm talking about. And because of that, you've begun to realize something. The only way that that relationship can be made right with someone else that you hurt is for that person to give you permission to make it right. They must forgive you. And that's what the law of the Spirit who gives us life is all about. It's, it's this fact. The law of the Spirit of life is this. God has chosen. God, now listen, God has chosen not because of anything you've done or promised to do or how much money you gave to the church or gave to that person or the good things you've done for people. God has chosen to invite you into a relationship with him not based on your goodness, but based on a decision that he has made. God has chosen to extend forgiveness to you in your life. That is the law that overwhelms this other law. Because this other law is still in effect. The law of sin and death is still true, even for Christians. If you sin, something dies. Is that true? If they've been Christians for more than five minutes, you understand that. You know, you still have the potential to sin. Yes. You sin, it will kill something. A relationship, your credibility, whatever it happens to be. The law of sin and death does not go away, but the law of the spirit of life supersedes the law of sin and death. And God did this through Jesus Christ. He extends forgiveness to all people. And then it says this in verse 3. For what the law, once it's talking about the law, the religious laws that we have, what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the sinful nature. Now, what's it talking about? All the law can do, let me tell you, when, you, when I gave you that list on the, on the board earlier, on the, on the screen earlier, that list of eight things from, from religions to do, all it could really do was let you know how you measure up according to the law, right? It couldn't make you do them. You choose whether you follow the laws, the oughts and the ought nots. But all the law can do is condemn you. It can make you aware that you have failed. And what religion cannot do, that's what religion is, a set of laws. God did and he did that. How did he do that? How did God overwhelm this, this, these laws that we can't fulfill? Well, did he do it by sending us some simpler laws? Well, that would be great. You know, we just want two. And it's, I get to pick, pick which ones I want, the ones that are easy for me, and then I'll just follow those, not anything else. No, that's not what he did at all because it says this is what he did. This is how he overcame that law. He said this, the next part of the verse. God did this by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful humanity to be a sin offering. He sent it not just to the Jews who he was talking to here, not just to Christians, but for everyone. By sending his son to be crucified on a cross, he overcame the law of sin and death. What the law was powerless to do, enabling us just to, to do everything perfectly, what religion was powerless to do, whatever your religious system is, and there's lots of religious systems that, that offer us lots of good things to do, whether it's to be meditate or to pray or to, or to do certain things certain times or to you know, all these different things. They're good things to do. But those things are powerless to overcome all the baggage that's in your life in and of itself. But what these things were powerless to do, to solve the dilemma of the human heart. God did by sending his son. 
That's why Easter is such a big deal. It's not about Christmas so much. No, God never told us to celebrate Christmas. You know that? Never in Scripture. He did say, celebrate Easter. Celebrate the fact that, my, that I sent my son to do for you what you could not do for yourself, to measure up, to deal with the sin, to deal with your past. And then it says this in the next part of that verse. It says, and so he condemned sin in human flesh. It says he condemned sin. It, says, it doesn't say he condemned you or me. He condemned the sin, the, the fact that we cannot do the things to stay right with God or right with other people ourselves. And he did that, it says in verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law. What is the righteous requirement of the law? Remember those eight things we started off with back a while ago, those things that are, it, the righteous requirement of the law would be that we carry these out perfectly, that you never harm others with word or deed, that you always honor your parents, that you always are kind to your siblings and the elderly, that you're always honest in your dealings with others, that you never lie, that you don't have sex with another person's spouse ever and don't even think about it, and also that you always care for those who are weaker and you always put others first. Now, if you have any takers, that you can do that perfectly all the time. No. Don't work. We know it doesn't work. We know ourselves. I know myself. We can't do it. And so the issue is, is how do we deal with it? But he says this, and let's look at the rest of the verse. It says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Might be fully met in us. Now, what? We just said we can't do it. So how does that work? See, what it, the thing about Easter is this. God is offering you and offering me a new standing with him that is not based upon how good we are or how many, things, how many hoops we jump through or how, because he knows no matter how good you are, I don't care if you're Billy Graham or Mother Teresa, that no matter how good you are, that you will never be able, never be able to fulfill the law perfectly in your life. All of us, the Bible says, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the perfect measure of God's standards. We'll never do it. We can't do it. So God has offered through Jesus a new standing with God, a standing as if, the standing is this, as if it, he, he allows you to, to look at you if you accept Christ as if you kept every single law perfectly every single time. He offers that as a gift. As a gift. That's what grace is. It's an undeserved gift. It's not something you earned. And he says the reason I'm doing that is because somebody has to pay for the sin and all the things that are opposed to God. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take all this baggage, all this stuff that you have in your life, and I'm going to pile it all on Jesus. I'm just going to take it all, and I'm going to pile it all on him. And if you turn your life over to Christ, and if you decide you want to follow him and say, I can't do it myself, what's going to happen is, is he's going to take that sin, and he says... I'm going to pile it on my son, and he will pay the price, the penalty for the sin. Even though you deserve it, and I deserve it. And see, that's the only way you can ever get back into a relationship that you have damaged. You know that only if the person that, you, that you've broken the relationship with says, I'll forgive you. I won't make you pay the penalty for what you deserve. God's solution 
is his son. Now, as I look at all the world religions, I see three things happening in them. Three things that always are true. We all, the three things that all religions point to. Number one is this. We ought to live in a certain way. Every religion says, hey, there's some oughts and there's some ought not tos. Every religion says that. Secondly, every religion says we're not perfect. So we don't. We don't follow the plan. We know what we're supposed to do, but we don't, don't always follow it. And thirdly, because of that, we're at odds with God and other people because of our failures. And even we're at odds with our own self because we have all this baggage in our lives. Let me tell you what that means for you, though, that, that Christ has decided to come, die upon a cross at Easter because of what God decided to do. No matter where you are on your journey with God, where you are on this journey called life along the road, no matter where you are, where you've been, God has made available for you a way. The opportunity to start new and fresh, to be forgiven, your past wiped away. Now, I mean, there'll still be consequences to life because when, remember the law of sin and death is still in effect. When you sin, something dies. However, he says to us here, at the last part of this verse, he says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. And then it says this, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. He says, now we live in a different way. We don't have to live according to that sinful nature. We're not ruled by that. Hey, we'll break the laws. But we don't have to be ruled over them every day because God has given us the new ability. He's first forgiven us, and then he gives us the ability he talks about living in the Spirit. And he's, we're going to be talking about what that means over the next six weeks. He gives us the ability to live in a new way by the law of the Spirit that gives life. You see, Easter, Christianity, is not about rules, but about a relationship with God that affects our very life every day. It's not just about eternity. It's about the way we live every day. And the God who offers you the only gift that you really ever need, the gift of forgiveness, offers it to everyone. That's, that's the story of Easter. And so the question for you and the question for me is this. How are you going to deal with the baggage you have in your life? You're going to hold on to it, carry it around with you, and weigh you down and, and, and live fearfully or live, live with uh, fatigued all the time or uh, live, you know, just feeling guilty all the time about stuff you've done? Or, or are you going to choose to accept God's gracious offer, His gift, of forgiveness. And in the world where the law of sin and death is still in effect, when if you sin, there will be death of something. Or are you going to choose to live life in a different way, a new way, under a new law called the law of the Spirit that gives us life? That's the first step. That's where you depart from. You see, where for Jesus, the road led to the cross. For you and for me, the road leads from the cross when we choose it, and we choose God's plan for our lives. This morning, let's just bow our heads and pray this morning as we close. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.